hey, I'm so happy that we get to do this together. We're gonna take a few minutes and jump into the next part of our series. We're calling it Do For One. And here's what's behind that series. I think sometimes we're a little bit paralyzed, or at least I know I am, by the complexities and vastness of the world's problems. And here's what we see. We see that Jesus didn't fix all the world's problems all at once. Ultimately, through his death and his resurrection, uh, he did fix that. But while he walked planet Earth, he focused on one person at a time. And so sometimes I think we can withdraw and use this excuse that, well, I, I can't help everyone, so I, there's not much I can do. But, but what we see is this. Let's, let's do for one person what we wish we could do for everyone. And I'd like to focus on this thought. Let's train someone. Train someone. Or for those of you who um, might not understand this word, we're going we're gonna to use this word disciple. Disciple, which means to make a follower of someone. Now, when we think of the church... Okay, what, what do you think of? And I know that even lately, some of our concepts have had to change a little bit. I was just on a conference call. I serve on a board for a denomination of churches and lasted three and a half hours. And we were talking about things at kind of a global level, 60,000 churches. And sometimes when I think of church, I think that. I think these denominations or these systems of hierarchy and power and leadership so that's one thing we think of as a church. Sometimes we think of a building or a facility. We might even use the phrase, hey, let's go to church, meaning let's go to a building. Um, we might think of theological distinctives. Different groups of people gather around significant theological issues and form what we call denominations. So sometimes we think of church in that way. But here's, here's what I love. Like, What if we deconstructed all of that as much as possible and we looked for the smallest common denominator in this whole thing called Christianity, in this whole thing called the Church of Jesus. And if you took it all apart, here's what you would have at the very core. It would be this idea of one person training another person. Discipleship. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that what this does for you and what it's been doing for me in this very unique time is it brings me back to the basics, okay? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope this gives you some sense of clarity on what the church actually is supposed to be all about. So Jesus did exactly this. He had, we, we know these different groups. He had a group of 500 people who engaged with him after he's resurrected. Okay, so that's kind of a larger group. And then he had a group of 70 people that he sent out to do his work. They had this group of 12, and these were 12 people that he picked. He called them his disciples, and they then carried on his work after his death. And then an even smaller group is he had three people who had this very unique perspective on his life. It was Peter, James, and John, and they got to be with Jesus at these very unique opportunities, like the, the transfiguration, where what happens is, Here's Jesus. He's on a mountaintop. He's only chosen Peter, James, and John to come with him. And who appears? Moses and Elijah, two of the Old Testament like heroes. And they have this unique experience. Think of this for a moment. Jesus did not leave behind a written document. He didn't leave behind a strategy written down in any fashion. Later on, decades later, we'd get the New Testament. 
Jesus didn't leave behind a building, never built a building, but he changed the world. And 2,000 years later, a billion plus people are followers of Jesus. How did he, how did he make such a profound impact on the world? It was that one-on-one discipleship is that he invested in people and he changed people's realities and then those people changed others and it has gone on and on for the last 2,000 years. And at the core of everything that we call Christianity, it's not our buildings, it's not our denominations, it's not our theological distinctives, it's not the theology that we produce, At the core, the thing that has kept the church thriving throughout the centuries is this. It's discipleship. And here's what I love about this. In this very unique time where we're not even gathering in person as we have in the past. Nothing can inhibit the one-on-one work of discipleship. It continues today. So I'd like to read a passage of scripture from the book of Acts chapter 16. And it is exactly what we're talking about with discipleship. Here's the two characters involved. One is the Apostle Paul. And in chapter 15 of Acts, Paul's just had this moment that kind of opened the lid up off a church. Like everybody wanted to suppress the church and wanted to make all these rules that people had to live by. And this group called the Jerusalem Council, the elders of the church, opened up the church and they said this statement. They said, let's make it as easy as possible for Gentiles, so that's non-Jews, Let's make it as easy as possible for Gentiles to follow Jesus as possible. So they stripped away all of the Old Testament rules, came up with just a few distinctives. And now Paul is so excited about this that he begins to travel throughout the Roman Empire telling people this good news. That the only thing you need to be a follower of Jesus is to surrender your life to Jesus, believe that what he did on the cross paid for your sins, that he is resurrected and he is alive. So that's Paul's mission. And he ends up here. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Now, in our world, that's not a big deal. But if you were Jewish, I, that, that was a really significant de- deal, is that now your children were no longer fully Jewish, and there would have been people who would have ostracized you from society. It would have created tension. Verse 2. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, meaning Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So, now get ready for this. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So if this idea of discipleship is at the very core of what we call Christianity, if it's about one person having an impact on another person, what can we learn from this text that would help us? Number one, I'd like to say this. In order for us to do for one, to train someone, to disciple someone, first word would be this initiate. Initiate. I think far too often in our lives, and I've done this myself, is we kind of just wait around and we say, hey, I'm just looking for somebody who's going to ask me a good question. Somebody who's going to be eager to learn. 
And what Paul shows is this, is that throughout his life, he is going to initiate relationship with other people. And throughout his letters, Paul writes the majority of the New Testament, he lists the numbers of people, and it's vast, who were impacted by his life. I'll just give you a few. Epaphras, Titus, Timothy, who we just read about, Silas, Priscilla, Aquila. It would just go on and on. And here's why those relationships happened. And, and here's why people were changed. It's because Paul initiated. He's traveling. He's looking. Paul's always on the lookout for who can I invest in? Who can I change and transform? Jesus had exactly the same methodology. Uh, you could read the beginning of Jesus' life in any of the four biographies in the New Testament of Jesus. And at the beginning of each, it chronicles him finding several of his 12 original disciples. I'll, I'll give you one example. Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. He's sitting at a tax booth, sitting at a table. He's working for the occupying Roman government. He's despised by most people. Jesus walks up to him, a man who is completely comfortable, at least financially, and Jesus says, follow me. Jesus initiates the relationship. And if we want to step into this world of, let's see one life transformed, it will take a form of initiation for each of us. That we make a choice, that I make a choice. Who am I going to invest my life in? Look for those people, find them, and initiate. Let's not wait, okay? Here's the second thing. We have a little glimpse in Acts chapter 16. It teaches how to make sure we're looking for the right things, okay? When, when you're looking for someone to invest your life in, what are the right things to look for? So one of the things that Paul shows us is he's not worried about somebody who has, oh, like all the things that culture would say, you got it all together. He's not looking for the guy who's, you know, 100% Jewish, a guy who's uh, a lady who's really, really attractive, who's influential, who's eloquent. None of those are qualifications. I love this, is that when Paul started asking around, people said, oh, we know this young guy. His name's Timothy. And here's what they mentioned. He has character. Character. And what's character? Character is just People watched his life and they said, this guy is legitimate. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you're not two-faced. You're not hypocritical. Is that you are an authentic human being. And so when we're looking for disciples, this is what we want to look for. Not perfect people, but people who have some modicum of character. And then, and then what does Paul do? Well, this is where it gets a little awkward because we read that word circumcised, okay? So... Another thing that Paul's looking for is, I'll just phrase it this way. He's looking for someone who has a willingness to sacrifice. Okay, willingness to sacrifice. So put yourself in Timothy's shoes. You're, you're just living your life, and, and Timothy's just this young man that loves Jesus, and he's probably not terribly respected in society because of his ethnic background. And along comes Paul, and Paul says, hey, I'm told by the people that observe you that you're a young man who has character. I'd like for you to join my life. I would like to invest myself in you. And you're just honored. Like, this is the Apostle Paul. You want me? Paul says, uh, yeah, but uh, let, let's talk about something. He says, I want to need you to do something in order for you to join me on my journey of planting churches. Timothy's like, whatever, anything, I'll do it. 
Here's what Paul says. Now, I personally don't have an issue with this, but there are going to be a lot of Jewish people who think that you need to be circumcised in order to be a disciple of Jesus. And Timothy, you don't have to do this. Like, theologically, Paul, late in other places, says this is not a necessity whatsoever. But he says, Timothy, I need you to make a little bit of a sacrifice so that you can have an impact on other people's lives. Now, when I read that, I'm a little set back because I know all the reasons that Paul gives us in other books where that's not a necessity. But I, I think this is what we see is that both Paul and Timothy said this. I know I'm right. I know that we're saved by grace alone, not by outward works. But I also know this, that if Timothy isn't willing to make a sacrifice, it will forever diminish his impact in his voice and his reputation with other people. So I think when you're looking for somebody to pour your life into, right? If, if you're on the side of, I want to disciple someone, or if you're, hey, I want to be a disciple, here's what I want you to know. There's a price to be paid. Now, thankfully, it's not this price, okay? I'll tell you what, um, over the years, when people said, hey, will you disciple me? I'll say, sure. And here's my first thing. I'll say, hey, I want to meet you at 6 a.m., and it tells me right away, I want to set up some sort of low hurdle to see if they're willing to jump over it. I'll say, yeah, I'd love to meet with you again, but you need to read this book first before we meet. And here's what that's done for me, is that some people just aren't ready. They're just not ready. Like there's an urgency, but they're not ready to, to pay the price to be a disciple of Jesus. In the book of Luke, Jesus talks a lot about what it means to be a disciple. And over and over, he'll say this. He'll say like, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to pick up a cross daily and follow me. He's inviting people to discomfort. He's inviting people to live a sacrificial type life. So am I willing to sacrifice? Are the people that I would choose to invest my life in, I initiate those relationships, are they willing to sacrifice? Point number three. I, I think that the whole idea of discipleship can become very, very complex and we can systematize it. And there's some, there's some great like formats out there, some great curriculum. I'm not saying that all that's wrong, but I do think that at times we forget what discipleship is all about. That's point number three. Take someone on a journey. Take someone on a journey. So what does Paul do? For discipleship, Paul didn't look at Timothy and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work our way through these six books, and you're going to answer these questions. I'm going to give you a test. Here's what Paul said. Come with me. Come with me on my journey. And so he invites Paul in. And now, for years, what is Timothy going to do? He's going to follow Paul. Paul's going to display. He's going to model. This is how you deal with conflict. This is how you talk about Jesus. This is how you deal with persecution and imprisonment. This is how you think through things. And so discipleship was this. Just join me in my journey. It doesn't necessarily need to be systematized because that can be very intimidating for some of us. But could we say this? Well, I don't know if I know much, but what I do know is Come and watch my life. I'm far from imperfect. I don't know everything, but I know a few things. And I'm more than willing to share those few things with you. 
I'm going to bring up a name that many of you would recognize. Some wouldn't, especially if you live out of town. Fred and Joan Nelson. They live here in Yellowstone County, and they've made their life, like they purposely retired early so that they can disciple people. And they do this as well as anybody I've ever met. They just say, hey, just journey in life with us. We're here for you. Come over for dinner. We're going to help you find some friends. Now you walk with those friends. And it becomes a much more natural type process. I have a goal. I actually had a birthday this past week, and it, it made me think about a few things. Okay, um, Here's one of the goals I wrote down in the back of my journal. I wrote this down. I said, I don't want to take anything that I know about Jesus to the grave. I don't know how long I'm going to get to live. I, I hope the Lord gives me many, many years. But I, I, I've made this determination. I hope I can stick to it. That anything the Lord has ever taught me through my mistakes, through my failures, through his spirit tutoring me, I don't want to take that with me. I want to divest that in the lives of friends and of my kids and of our staff and of the church. And I think that's the heart of discipleship that God is calling us to once again in a renewed fashion is this. Whatever I've got, no matter how limited it is, I don't want to take that with me to the grave. I want to have shared that and disperse that to as many people as possible. Now, here's the fourth thing I'd like to talk about. It's the results. Okay, the results. So you have this man named Paul finding this man named Timothy saying, join me in the journey. Watch me. I'll teach you. We'll walk through life together. You're going to see Paul. Timothy saw all the worst side of Paul as well, right? You're going to learn from that. He says, but at the end, here's what the result is. I love verse 5 says this. It says, um, and the churches grew. The churches grew. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew in numbers daily. Now, what we wouldn't know just from this passage is that eventually they'd come to a city named Ephesus. Long time later. And Paul would stay there for years, but eventually he'd need to leave. And Ephesus was going to be one of the, the primary, most influential churches in the New Testament era. And he looks at Timothy and he says, Timothy, you need to stay here. You're, you're going to be the pastor of this, this church in Ephesus. It was a city of almost half a million people probably. And you have Timothy who's probably in his very early 20s at that point. And here's the end result of Paul's investment into Timothy's life. Timothy stays in Ephesus and he builds a church and he makes disciples. That's what discipleship does. It, there are all these type of numerics that I could show you, but, but it comes down to this. It, if we can pour our lives into one or two people, they pour their lives into one or two people. And it goes on and on and on. I want to read a scripture that many of you would be familiar with. It's at the very end of the book of Matthew. And this is as Jesus is getting ready to leave planet Earth, he's going to ascend into heaven. This is what he says to his followers. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now this is where Jesus is going to divest his heaven-given authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Jesus' last in-person statement, what does he say? He says, here's the plan. Go make disciples of all nations. Remember, I have authority, and now my authority is operative within the church, within imperfect people. So I want you to baptize people, and I want you to teach people. And this, this group of maybe 500 people who heard Jesus say this took that seriously. And they began to disperse themselves throughout the known world. What did they do? They said, hey, somebody invested in me. It was Jesus or one of Jesus' disciples, and my life has been changed, and now I am here to give you whatever God has given me. When I think of discipleship, this is something that keeps me balanced. I think of these three words. Okay, Here's the first word, heart. The primary goal of discipleship for my life personally and for anybody that I want to invest in is it's about transformation. It's about Jesus Entering inside of a human being and altering and shaping them. It's not about religious development and learning how to look the part and play the part. But it's about literally my character and the essence of who I am being changed. Heart. And then head. Jesus said, go and teach them. Part of discipleship is saying this. There are things that you need to know because every human being is confused. Every one of us human beings Things are a little foggy. We believe things that are inaccurate about God and about ourselves. Part of discipleship is helping people to understand truth. That's why teaching is essential. But it's not all about information transfer. It's about my heart. It's about my head. And then here's my last word. It's about my hands. It's about my hands. See, the goal of discipleship for Jesus wasn't just to educate people. And it wasn't just to transform them. There was a third aspect. It was to include them in the mission. That discipleship means there are things that I am doing. There are assignments. There are people who say, hey, you don't know if you can do that, but I believe you can do that. Let's train you a little bit, and then you go. Discipleship is me not being an observer of Christianity, but a participant in Christianity. Can I give you an illustration in closing? So I had a very short career in track. It ended uh, my freshman year of high school. Uh, one of the things I loved about track, though, were the relays. So at one point in my life, I was fairly quick on my feet. That is uh, no longer the case. But in a relay, most of you have seen this. If not, I'll describe it to you. There, there's a baton. It's made out of metal, aluminum. And you divide up into multiple different groups. You're going to run 100 yards or 400 yards, whatever the relay is. So the first person runs, and then your job is to stretch out the baton, and you want to stay in stride, right? One person is slowing down. The other person is speeding up. You hand off the baton. The next person takes it and hands it to the next individual, and that's how the race is completed. So the thing about a relay is this. You could have the fastest team on the planet, but if they don't get the handoff right, if the baton is dropped, the race is over. Okay. Here's how Jesus set up his church. 2,000 years ago, Jesus looked at this group of people we just read, Matthew 28. 
And he said, I'm handing you the baton. And they grabbed it and they started running. And they lived their lives with this anticipation that Jesus could come back at any moment. And as they ran, they began to look for others. And they said, join in. We're a part of what God is doing on planet Earth. Jesus isn't done. He's not a historical figure. He is alive and well. His kingdom is expanding. And as they ran, they began to hand the baton to others. And those picked it up. And just imagine, think through the last 2,000 years of human history. The baton has been handed from one generation to the next generation to the next. And now it's our turn. And this race, this glorious, beautiful race that has been happening for 2,000 years, I get to take the baton, but I also get to hand the baton off. I'll ask two questions in closing. The first is this. Who am I taking the baton from? So I think in this time of kind of isolation and life is different. One of the things that many of us have reflected on is relationships are truly important, right? So we can gather together online, and this is temporary. But ultimately, Christians are meant to engage one another. And maybe you're someone who you're not even sure what you believe right now. Listen, we really honor your process. One of the things that you're going to need is you're going to need somebody who can hand you the baton. Help you begin to think about your head and your heart and your hands. Who's going to be able to model something for you, teach you something, hand you something. Who are you receiving the baton from? Are there still people in my life? I always want to be able to say, there are people that are passing something on to me. Then the second question is this. Who am I handing the baton to? Because without that, Remember the very core of Christianity, if you stripped away all of church hierarchy in our buildings, if you don't have discipleship, if you don't have one person impacting another, the church has nothing left. So even in the midst of pandemic, part of why I haven't been afraid is because you, you can't change Christianity. If it's based on the core of discipleship, our churches only benefit, they enhance what we get to do. Who are you gonna hand the baton to? Can I pray with you? Father, thank you for this beautiful reality at the very core of what we call Christianity. Jesus, you didn't leave behind playbooks and strategies, you left behind this thing called discipleship, where you invested in a group of people, and then they, being transformed by their experience with Jesus, handed that off to others, and that has occurred countless times throughout our history. And now, Lord, it's our turn. Lord, we take the baton. We take the baton and we run in our unique time, in our unique setting, and we will run the race. We will serve this planet. We will lay down our lives. We will be disciples and we will hand the baton off. We will find people and initiate 
and invest and we'll pay a price, we'll sacrifice and we'll find others who will as well. And here's what's gonna happen. We will hand the baton to the next generation and at the core of our lives, we pray this, that the church is healthier and more dynamic, more beautifully representing you than ever before. Would that take place during our lifetimes? In the name of Jesus, we pray this, amen.